September 1975. President Gerald Ford is shaking hands with the public when he's approached by a woman in a long flowing red cape with a hood who was a follower of Charles Manson. She also had a gun. This is how it was reported that night on the nightly news. Good evening. In California today, President Ford looked down the barrel of a loaded automatic held by a red-haired woman in a long red dress. But the gun didn't go off, and he's all right. The woman was wrestled to the ground by a Secret Service man, and the president was hustled away. She is being charged with attempted murder of the president. She is 26-year-old Lynette Alice Fromm, nicknamed Squeaky. She's a member of the so-called Manson family, followers of the convicted murderer, Charles Manson. Our White House correspondent, Tom Brokaw, was there when it happened this morning, and here is his report from Sacramento, California. It was mid-morning in Sacramento when President Ford left a hotel to walk over to the state capitol for a meeting with Governor Edmund Brown, Jr. in a speech to the state legislature. This was a political trip, part of the president's campaign to lock up the Republican nomination. So he was shaking hands as he went along, working the crowd, as politicians say. And it was a friendly crowd. Accompanied by aides and Secret Service agents, the president reached for every hand in sight. Suddenly, a young woman holding a gun appeared at the president's side. A Secret Service agent grabbed a gun and wrestled the young woman to the ground as other agents formed a tight protective shield around the president and moved him swiftly to the Capitol. Mr. Ford had seen the gun. He had a dazed, bewildered look as he was rushed along. Uh, I was about to shake the president's hand. I was watching him approach. Uh, my friend was shaking his hand just to my right, and uh, I saw the Secret Service men rush the crowd where I was standing. Uh, I looked down, and I saw the young lady who I'd seen previously just in the crowd scene. Um, I looked down. I saw her holding a gun. I saw the butt of the uh, handgun, and I don't know if she had gotten it out of her purse yet or not anyway. And uh, at that point, I uh, hit the ground, so to speak. I didn't want to be involved. I believe he must have seen her because uh, he turned white. <laughs> President domestic tranquility. Including a speech to the state legislature on, ironically, crime control. It was written before the assassination attempt and included a reference to Sacramento. 10th Street in Sacramento is as important to the people who walk and work there as peace in the Sinai Desert. Following the speech, President Ford described his own feelings about the assassination attempt. Let me say very emphatically that I think the Secret Service and the other law enforcement uh, agencies that were on the job were doing a superb job, and I want to thank them for everything they did in this unfortunate incident. I also wish to express to the people of California my gratitude for the very, very warm welcome that they've given me 
in the state of California. And I would not, under any circumstances, feel that one individual in any way represented the attitude on the part of the people of California. I just thank the Californians for being so friendly and so hospitable. And let me add with great emphasis, this incident, under no circumstances, will prevent me or preclude me from contacting the American people as I travel from one state to another and from one community to another. In my judgment, it's vitally important for a president to see the American people. And I'm going to continue to have that personal contact and relationship with the American people. I think it's vital, and I intend to carry it out. President, can you give us any idea of what you saw or felt personally at the time? I am not sure that I ought to describe what I saw beyond the fact that I saw a hand coming up behind several others in the front row, and obviously there was a gun in that hand. I then saw almost instantaneously very quick and very effective action by the Secret Service in taking care of the matter. Your own thoughts, sir? Well, I was very thankful for the... I was very thankful to the Secret Service for doing a superb job. But once I saw that they had done it, I thought I'd better get on with the rest of the day's schedule. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you very much. I think that's what I said. Thank you. Tonight, President Ford is en route back to Washington, and apparently he will continue his campaign schedule, including a return trip to California in about two weeks. Tom, you were... Tom, excuse me. You were there when it all happened. What did you do? Well, I was trailing the president by about 20 yards, and it was an extremely packed crowd as he moved along there, when suddenly I noticed movement of the president's party and then movement off to the left, someone being driven back into the crowd, someone dressed in red. And so, as I saw that the president was all right and moving in a very tight, protective cordon of Secret Service agents, I turned immediately to what was going off to the left. I knew the Secret Service agent involved, Larry Boondorf, was really one of the crack agents on the uh, White House detail. And I must say, I was stunned when I looked down into the face of Squeaky Fromm. I'd worked in California, as you know, for a long time, and had covered the Manson capers and trial and murders, and she was a very familiar figure there. And at first, I thought it was probably just another episode of her rather bizarre behavior. It wasn't clear to me then that she had a gun. But I did recognize her almost immediately. Uh, Boondorf, the agent, had a very set look on his face, and then it became clear that she indeed had a gun. And some people said that she had fired or had attempted to fire, that was never quite clear. On the ground, she said, it didn't go off, I'm being still. And then, as she stood up, she said, he's not your public servant. And she was led away. Before the trial could begin, the defendant, 
and the assassination attempt went through a psychiatric interview. of tape recording is the interview prior to 4244 findings of the defendant Lynette Frome in the case of the United States versus Lynette Frome criminal number S75451 place of interview the Sacramento County Jail Persons present during interview, Dr. Richmond, the defendant Lynette Frome, Assistant Federal Defender Robert Hawley, Federal Defender's Investigator David Kraft. Are you aware of the purpose of All parties are now present. The time is 3.41 p.m. Mental competency right now to understand what's going on and to be able to work with counsel and Apparently, you have requested to be your own counsel, so there's particular concern as to whether or not you have the mental wherewithal to meaningfully give up your right to counsel and, and be your own lawyer, so to speak. So if it's all right with you, I'd like to proceed the session examination. I'll be giving a report to the judge and a report to Mr. Walker of the Public Defender's Office and a copy to you. The court order specifies it. Each of you gets a copy. So if it's okay, we'll get started. Go ahead. Okay. You okay? Okay. That's just a formal letter of appointment. Do you go by Lynette? Yes. Okay. Good. What's your date of birth, Lynette? October 22nd, 48. 48, which would make you right now... 26, almost 27. Okay. Are you single? I wonder if that jiggling table is going to record every time it bounces. I notice as I write, the table rocks a little. You can hold it. What are you charged with, Lynette? Attempted assassination of the President of the United States. When were you arrested? I was arrested approximately 11 o'clock. Of September 5th? Of September 5th. 11 a.m. And have you been here in Sacramento County Jail since that time? No, I arrived here at about 5 o'clock. That night? That day, yeah. Okay, but since then you've been housed here since right. that time? Who at the present time is your attorney? 
Um, this is my attorney, Robert Holly. Okay. And the public defender's office. Have you discussed your case with Mr. Holly? We have briefly discussed it. Okay. Have you had any difficulty in communicating with Mr. Holly? None. Any difficulty in getting your ideas across or getting his ideas back again? No. Okay. About how many times have you been to court so far? I think three times. Three times. Uh, I was originally, I have been represented by Richard Walker, who's okay. also with the Federal Public Defender. I think that's E. Richard Walker, isn't that's it? That's right. Yeah, okay. Okay, and you discussed your case <coughs> to some degree with him also? That's right. Mm -hmm. Did you have any difficulty discussing it with him? No. If you were to be found guilty of this offense, what penalties do you face? From a number of years to life imprisonment. Okay. So that's a pretty heavy offense that you're charged with. Yes. Okay. You have entered a plea, have you not? Yes, I did not get to plea. When you entered that plea, was that a decision arrived at only by you, or a decision arrived at in conjunction with Mr. Hawley and Mr. Walker? Well, I can't testify to their state of mind. I know what they've told me, mm -hmm. but uh, this is my decision, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I wondered was, when you entered that plea, were you also following their advice, or was it a unilateral decision on your part? It was unilateral. Okay. Yours alone. Was that with unilateral? Yeah, you made it all by yourself. Well, I I would say that yes. Okay. Uh, they agree with me. All right. So they concurred. They said they yeah. They concurred. That's okay. right. If I sometimes use a word that isn't really clear, could be bad. Oh, I I'm, do that. I'm, I'll ask. I'm not here to be vague and so forth. I really want you and I to communicate very very clearly. Otherwise, my Evaluation is going to be very meaningful if we're not really on the same wavelength. What would you estimate to be your percentage chance at this point of being found not guilty? I have already decided exactly what I intend to ask the jury for. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I should answer that. Mm -hmm. Well, most of us, when we enter into a situation of difficulty, have at least some kind of estimate going in the back of our mind how likely we are to be successful. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, I feel I feel definitely that I have a probably a seventy percent chance, chance of being found not guilty. In on the percentage scale. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm not trying to get into what you plan as your defense in detail or anything like that, but I'm just trying to get an estimate about how thoroughly you've thought all this through, mm -hmm. particularly the whole issue of being your own attorney. I don't remember the exact quote, but Abraham Lincoln one time said something to the effect that the attorney who represents himself has a... Has a fool for a client. Yeah, and what was the other one for the attorney? <laughs> it went both ways as a fool for a client and, I don't know, an idiot for an attorney or something like that. Right. Uh, well, I've, I've been told that. You have. And I've, discussed I have that. Look, looked it over. Uh-huh. Okay, and yet you're convinced you can effectively represent yourself. Yes. Can you share with me a little bit how you've come to that conclusion? What What has made you decide you can do an adequate job of representing yourself? Because I'm quick when I wish to be. I feel that I can pick up the te technical aspects of it. And uh, I have a definite conviction within my entire heart and mind to carry this through and do the best that I can and uh, therefore feel satisfied no matter what the outcome. That's what I was going to ask. If you lose and you end up spending several years in prison, are you going to feel that somehow you made the wrong decision in not having an attorney? Well, as I said before, I've already uh, considered all the possibilities and I feel that I will be spending some time in prison. I feel this because of the evidence against me, but I'm, I really don't wish to talk about the case. Mm -hmm. I don't feel that I'll be convicted of uh, attempted assassination. Mm -hmm. But you think you may be convicted of something else that will lead to some prison time? That's right. Okay. Now, because I've made a statement like that, this tape recording is strictly between uh, you and me and the attorney and the U.S. attorney. Does he have a right to hear it? He doesn't. I don't believe so. Uh, if I understand judge, right, the, the uh, this will be kept under the judge's safekeeping. That's my understanding. He'll lodge it. This thought that you're quick when you want to be and that you can pick up on technical details. Attorneys go to school for many years. And Mr. Hawley and Mr. Walker have, in addition, had all kinds of experience thinking on their feet, going through this whole thing. But they also have a very large backlog of technical knowledge pertinent to law, which involves such things as uh, 
knowing when the attorney on the other side has overstepped his bounds and said something he shouldn't say, and it has to do with the power to object and get the judge to rule that uh, certain remarks made are not to be held in evidence, so on, so on, so on. You really think you're going to pick that up that quickly? I think that I could pick it up very quickly, although I wouldn't say that I'm equipped to handle all the technical aspects of it. If mm -hmm. necessary, I'll do my very best to do that if I'm forced to do that. But I am counting on having a co-counsel. I see. Okay. Good. And your co-counsel would be Mr. Hawley or That's someone right. from Mr. Walker's office. And I assume that's perfectly legit, isn't it, Mr. Holly, to have co-counsel? It's a possibility. It's a possibility. Yeah. I think that that would be fair. Mm -hmm. Have you been through a trial before? Have you been an accused before, a defendant? Yes. Mm -hmm. On how many occasions? One occasion. The trial was never carried through. Okay. Have you spent any considerable period of time watching trials in process and seeing how things go and how attorneys behave and so forth. Have you spent much time in courtrooms watching what goes on? I wouldn't say much, but mm -hmm. some. Okay. I, I don't yet know why you want to represent yourself. I'm thinking about what I can and can't say to you. Yeah. Basically, each person in life represents themselves. I don't feel that another person should get up and speak for me. I feel that I, I can um, speak for myself. I mm -hmm. think that I have a good brain. I can articulate what I want to say. I think that's the only way for me, personally. Mm -hmm. Because another person represents themselves. The mm -hmm. attorney who gets up has a definite effect on a jury. Mm -hmm. Do you think that in the course of a trial, you're going to have much uh, opportunity to speak for yourself? 
Well, I'll be conducting the defense. Now, right. any juror who's watching me will be watching me and not an attorney. Yes. Thereby, they will judge me and not my attorney. Mm -hmm. I don't So you'll get more exposure to the jury in terms of who you are. I will be able to speak directly to the jury. Uh -huh. I will be able to speak for myself. I can't put it any better. I, um, I have definite feelings about it. Mm -hmm. Yes, I see that. I'm wondering how thoroughly and technically you've thought it through. In a trial, the only time you would literally be able to speak for yourself would be if you took the stand. In other words, to speak my opinions. Right. Otherwise, as your own counsel, you're really not, except in closing arguments or opening arguments, you're really not allowed to express opinion. I'm uh, allowed. You know, as though it's coming from you, you're limited to expressing it as though you're an attorney uh, you know, trying to discredit somebody's testimony or something or other. You follow me? Let's put you in the same position with my convictions. <laughs> That's hard to do, but um, your life is at stake, and there's going to be conducted this massive trial that has to do with your life, and you want to be able to participate actively in this defense of your own life. Mm -hmm. This is more important than anything that mm -hmm. anybody could argue to me. This is my life, mm -hmm. and I should be able to defend myself. Mm -hmm. Okay, but I think, and you know, like you say, it's hard to put myself exactly in your place, but I think if I were in your place, and I have done some thinking about this, I think I would want to actively participate in my defense, but through counsel. I, w I would really want to have an attorney that I could really communicate with. And I would take an active part in my defense, but by being right at his arm and saying, hey, that didn't happen. Hey, ask this guy such and such. Hey, I didn't say that. You know, and let the attorney carry the ball, but participate through him as, as my legal know, counsel. As you know, things happen very quickly in the courtroom. They do indeed. And uh, that's my concerns about whether you've really thought that through or not, because... My thought is even if I was really an excellent athlete like uh, a football player, if somebody suddenly calls me to pitch baseball, uh, I'd be ill-advised, particularly if it was already the World Series, to get in and try and pitch baseball, even though I'm an excellent athlete, even though I'm used to being quick on my feet and quick with my hands. If, if it's in an arena where I just plain don't have skills. If your inner why? conscience and your all your feelings, all your thoughts told you this is what you must do, that's what you would do. And you would do a good job. Mm -hmm. Okay, what I would try to do though is to keep my feeling at bedrock minimum and let my intellect run the show. Right. Because in a situation like a court of law, Feelings are really destructive or potentially they so. They could be. I understand that. Yeah. What I mean I'm a court of law is a head trip. That's right. Yeah.
pretty much from start to finish, although we all recognize Did he send you over here to try, to try and get me to not mm, defend no, myself? No, not at all. Not at all. This is my technique of really exploring with you how well you've thought this through. Right. And so all I can do is to try and imagine myself into your position and bring up all the questions that I think I would think about before making the decision that you quite apparently have made. So I'm not trying to talk you out of it. That's not my purpose. I'm just trying to explore in as great a depth as possible how much heavy thinking you've given to this issue. Because it is a heavy matter. It really is. I realize that. And okay. that's why I only trust myself. Um. Go ahead. Due to some experience that I've had with various counsel, I've discovered that one man's opinion is not sufficient to determine. That's why we have all the members of the jury. That's why we have uh, from six to 12 people on a jury. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't feel that I can get through an attorney. I don't feel that I can speak through an attorney. No matter how good the attorney and Robert Hawley, I feel, is a very good attorney. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you just don't feel you can get your thoughts across through him. Of course, that's partly the issue where legal expertise comes in. As a defendant, uh, emotions are going to lead you at times to want to say certain things, which might make very good sense to you, but an attorney might say, Oy vey, no, no, that's not the thing to say. <laughs> he's, got, he's got the opportunity, if I have co-counsel, yeah. my co-counsel has the opportunity to do this. Mm -hmm. We together can decide exactly what we wish to do and proceed. Mm -hmm. uh, whose trial is it? Well, you're the one on trial. Yeah. That's a good question. I'm not quite sure whether it's the people's trial against you, whether it's your trial against the people. I guess it could be looked at <laughs> both ways. Well, it could be looked at both ways. I'm the one that's in custody. Right. The people are not. Right. Have you talked at length with Mr. Hawley or Mr. Walker about the possibility of co-counsel? Is that something you've discussed with them? No, we haven't discussed that at okay. length. I think they feel that this is something that's up to the judge. I can't say what they feel. I don't know. Is it all right or appropriate for me to ask what the chances are that she can have co-counsel? Ask me? Yeah. I don't know. I see. I don't know. That is up to the judge. Mm -hmm. And you don't have any kind of a percentage estimate in your mind how likely the judge would grant that, not grant that? I have no idea. I see. So long as I've been in the office, the issue has never come up. I see. So it would be something unusual. It is, it's unusual for a person to ask that they represent themselves. 
Well, I know that. It's un it would be something unusual, yet, but not necessarily, not necessarily anything wrong with it. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay, so as so far as you know, it's a distinct possibility, but it's not been explored with the judge or anything. Okay. How have you been feeling generally? I feel pretty good. Are you bothered to any significant degree by anxiety, nervousness, tension? No. Okay. Never have been. Even under these circumstances? No. I make the best of any situation I'm in. How about when you go to court? How do you feel then? The first day I walked into the courtroom, I looked at the judge, and he looked at me. I felt satisfied at that time that there was a certain mm -hmm. respect, and I feel comfortable in the courtroom. You have some confidence that Judge McBride would deal fairly with you with your case? Well, from what I've seen, he is easy to talk to. Like I say, I feel comfortable with him. Okay. I don't know his record. I've n I don't know what kind of decisions he makes. Mm -hmm. What about your feelings about courts, judges generally? Do you think that, you know, there is you know, an inherent fairness about the judge that he doesn't prejudge the case, that he, you know, makes decisions on the basis of the merits of the cases and so forth. This is the judge's position. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's generally true of his position, that that really happens? Of whose position? Well, of judges generally. Oh, I could never make a statement about judges generally. Yeah, okay, no. so you don't have any built-in biases that judges are really a group of rip-offs who just act fair but really make uh, preconceived decisions and so forth? No. Okay. But that's not an uncommon in, in belief. in the federal court, particularly yeah. in the federal okay. court. So I, I think generally, we, even though you don't know Judge McBride's track record, your thought would be, uh, he's a federal judge and probably he makes honest decisions on the basis of the merits of the case. That's his job and from my so, exposure as you know, to him, that's he would do that. That's what he does. Okay. Well, let me just summarize that. You think he would be fair. <laughs> I couldn't help but hear that you were very upset at the thought of being seen by a psychiatrist and you said you didn't trust psychiatrists. I was curious as to what lay behind that. Well, you have one set of thought patterns more or less in your lifestyle uh -huh. and you are also exposed to numerous people, I assume, who have many problems uh -huh. And these people talk to you right. on a daily basis, maybe. And uh, you are exposed to a lot of maybe 
perhaps distorted gods. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, within all the thoughts on the planet, you mm-hmm. have to uh, construct a framework in your mind from which to operate. And all things considered, I feel that it's not right for one man's evaluation to determine what happens to me. In my past experience, I had a probation officer mm-hmm. interview me, and I was very clear in explaining things to her, mm-hmm. and I felt that it was a good interview, and there was mm-hmm. no uh, depression whatsoever about the interview except what I perceived in her own eyes. Uh, I mean, physically, she looked depressed. Mm-hmm. When I saw the report, she had put her depression on me. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I decided that that was not right. Also, I understand that there's, there are reports throughout the penitentiaries made on people during an hour or two mm-hmm. hours, mm-hmm. which is hardly time to get into a person's sight. Mm-hmm. And these reports, unfortunately, not necessarily the fault of the psychiatrist, but these reports mm-hmm. go down on the record. The authorities pick them up. If the individual was angry that day mm-hmm. or any number of circumstances, this goes down on a person's record for mm-hmm. life. And uh, I don't wish to have that type of record. Okay. that you have the thought that sometimes therapist attitudes go down on a defendant's record for life. Is that a fair paraphrase? That's all right. What kind of vibes are you getting so far? Are you feeling as distrustful now as when you originally thought someone was coming to see you? I don't feel distrustful toward you as a person, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it would be wise for any person to openly mm-hmm. subject themselves to the interpretation of one mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't want to go on record as saying, well, I'm going to trust Dr. Richmond so much that whatever he says about me is right. That's right. Okay. I see by the press, people, that they often can take something that you say mm-hmm. and turn around backwards and it comes out to be nothing like what you meant. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we recognize that the press is in a business and their business is selling newspapers and their business is unfortunately not reporting truth necessarily, although right. they're subject to certain laws also of libel and slander and so forth if they don't get things right. Yes, I've been quoted by newspapers on a few occasions where I uh, I didn't recognize my thoughts. Right. Right. You mentioned depression in this probation officer. Have you been depressed at no, all? No, absolutely not.
when you recognize that the judge was questioning your mental competency, how did you react to that? How did you feel about your mental state being questioned? He is doing this for the record. Mm -hmm. I assume. I feel that definitely he's doing this for the record. He wants to be sure that he's not accused of making a mistake. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you didn't feel personally no. accused of being crazy or something like that? No. The press has made a number of comments to the effect that you're a mm -hmm. rather daft broad mm -hmm. wandering about in this world following uh, ill-begotten causes and so forth. How do you feel about that? I'm working through it the mm -hmm. best way I can. I feel this trial conducted with a little bit of dignity would help tremendously. Mm -hmm. So you would look for your image to go up? Well, no, wait a minute. No. The, the judge has already stated that this is not a forum for me to express my views or for me to uh, do anything it, it, for my mm -hmm. image, in other words. I'm mm -hmm. just saying that incidentally mm -hmm. that... You think your image would improve, though? by how you would conduct yourself in That's a court right. of law. Okay. Do you accept the judge's um, statement that um, it's not a forum for you to express your ideas? Is that an acceptable limitation to you? Okay, judge, I, I got the message. I'm not here to wax hot and heavy on some of my pet projects. I accepted it, yes. Okay. I saw you throw a glance at Mr. Holly. Was there something I was asking I shouldn't she ask her? She thought I leaned forward to uh, oh, say something. Oh, I see. Okay. See, I'm already conferring with him. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> Have you, at any time in your life, been under psychiatric care? No. Never been in a mental hospital? No. Have you ever been under a general physician's care with tranquilizers, antidepressants? No. How are you sleeping? Good. No trouble falling asleep? No trouble whatsoever. Do you sleep soundly? When you awaken, are you refreshed? Yes. How many hours would you guess you sleep at a stretch? I don't sleep that long. I'd guess six or seven hours. Okay. Six maybe. How many hours altogether in a 24-hour period? Like, would there be some naps thrown in on top of that? That's possible. Particularly in this situation, when I'm outside, it's all entirely different. Different, okay, but your sleep pattern has remained good. How's your appetite been? Well, Doc, <laughs> the food here is not... Leave something to be desired. The type okay. of food that I eat. 
Okay, what kind of a dietary trip were you on? It's a healthy one. Mm -hmm. Vegetarian diet? Yeah, I'm a vegetarian. Okay. Uh, I try and avoid additives. Uh, sugar, I, try, I ordinarily don't eat any sugar. Mm -hmm. Starch. Um, so really into a, a health food kind of diet, vegetarian, so forth. Were you taking a vitamin supplements? No, I don't go along with that. Why don't you go along with that? Well, just as I expected when I thought of doing that, uh, I talked to several people who have actually built up such a dependency on the vitamins that mm -hmm. they feel sick when they don't have them. And I don't like to be dependent upon okay. anything. So you saw vitamins as a drug that you could get hooked on? That's right. You really want to be independent. I think everybody does, really. How much think that? Well, I'm saying that. What, you mean, we could argue, we could say there's people that want to kill themselves, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, what I'm saying is, you know, who does? Who wants to be dependent upon things that they can't always have? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I quite agree. To want to be dependent on something that's uh, uncertain is a very fragile situation to be in. Right. Right. But perhaps to want to be dependent on something that's surefire is, uh, I don't know, maybe that's man's natural lot. We could debate that, too. What about thoughts about killing yourself? Have you ever had suicidal thoughts? No. At no time in your life? Not serious ones. I think every teenager has probably thought in their life, what if I mm -hmm. did this and that would show them. You mm -hmm. know? Okay. But I, don't, I wouldn't say that I was thinking that. Have you ever had experiences in which there seemed to be a separation of mind and body so that you had a subjective sensation that you could look at yourself from across the room or step outside your own body and look back at you like you were looking back at a third person. Not spiritually, mm -hmm. nor with any great degree of reality. Mm -hmm. I've uh, imagined it, of course. Mm -hmm stepping outside myself and looking. Mm -hmm. Okay, but some people have actually experienced it either no. spontaneously or under the influence of drugs that felt the splitting of mind and body and, you know, they'll say, gee, it was like I was up on top of the ceiling looking at no, myself. No, I've heard that, but I never okay. have had that experience. Okay. Have you ever experienced hallucinations, either visual or auditory hallucinations, hearing, seeing things that aren't really there? No. The newspapers have said, with what validity I don't know, that you have at times used drugs very heavily. You have been on hundreds of acid trips or something yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. The news media loves to say that. Yeah. That's not true. Tell me about your drug history, generally. During the late 60s, mm -hmm. when things were so radically changing, 
and the young people were out in the streets more or less. That's a short way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, I experimented with lysergic acid, LSD, mm -hmm. uh, and marijuana. I have never taken any cocaine. I've never tried heroin. I've never had any kinds. I've never had a red in my life, which what they call a red. It's a depressant or something. Mm -hmm. Right, reds, yellows, yeah. rainbows, two and all. Never had any desire to uh, go down. Okay. What effect did you get out of the acid? What effect? Yeah. What What did it do to you psychically? Oh, that would be a long, long explanation. Well, in not too great I'll detail. I tell, tell you <laughs> that it did. Hasn't impaired me in any way. Mm -hmm. I became aware of the possibilities of different realities as seen through different eyes, as seen through the the Chicanos, for example. I went mm -hmm. down in the uh, I, I traveled in my mind into their world in East Los Angeles. And then I traveled into the ghetto, and I traveled into high society, and uh, like that. I've looked into the ways that people view the world. Mm -hmm. Kind of a philosophic trip, cultural philosophic. What, a partial identification with how see, other people might see the world? This is the problem with interpretation. Mm -hmm. We have to find a word to put on this. Right. All right. That's why I'm asking the question back this way, All saying, right. you know, are we on the same wavelength? I suppose you could call it cultural. Okay. Into the fields, into the rice paddies. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you took the LSD, did you have hallucinations then? Did you see colors or... See Nothing trails or there. time lags or anything like that? Uh, colors, of course, are present. Mm -hmm. How much we notice them is another mm -hmm. story. I experienced the type of vision that I had when I was very young. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Well, for example, because you're Dr. Richard and I'm Lynn Fromm, uh, I, I talk to you and I don't stare at you, mm -hmm. but uh, under lysergic acid I would perhaps not stare at you, but I would be more aware of your features. Mm -hmm. I would be more aware of okay. your body language, what you were saying with your eyes, Okay. and consequently I would probably be able to tell more what you were thinking. Uh, naturally, people are pretty much conditioned not to look at each other. Okay. But you didn't freak out and have some wild trips like some people have. They think they're Superman. They walk down the tracks towards an oncoming train thinking they can stop it. Or, no, this you know, is they look at the sun until their eyeballs get burned out of I their heads and things like that. I feel that that is an abuse mm -hmm. of the drug itself. I feel that feel they've used it. Okay, but you didn't experience any kind of no. trip like that. Um, how many trips would you estimate you had? A hundred? Fifty? Twenty? No, I wouldn't say a hundred. I would say maybe 
but I don't think that much. Okay. And as best you know, it, it left you with no impairment of memory or intellectual functioning or anything like that? No. How heavily and how long did you use grains? Not heavily, ever. Joint a week, uh, joint a day. Um. Oh, in other words, what's my conception of heavy? Yeah. Uh, I'd say, I'd say it's more like a joint a week, okay. but not consistently either. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. What effect would you get from marijuana? There again, how do we describe the effects? Just I describe it subjectively right, and see right, if I can tune into it. Under the right conditions, mm -hmm. I feel that marijuana can heighten the awareness. Uh, sort of like acid? Well, acid, of course, is much stronger. Mm -hmm. Okay, would it be like acid, only weaker? Had? No. No. Well, then, if you've never had LSD, I could never explain it to you. Yeah, I... I have some idea because I've talked to so many people who've used it. I think I can imagine to some degree what it's like. Well, it is an imagination. That is that yeah. in truth is much what it does is opening yeah. up your imagination. But right. you couldn't imagine unless you had that. Okay. It did not make you hallucinate or anything like that. What marijuana? Yeah. No. Okay, any other drugs that you've tried besides acid and marijuana? Did you get into stuff like uh, STP, psilocybin, peyote? No, I've never had any of those. Okay. How about alcohol? I've always been opposed to alcohol. You've no. never been drunk once? Oh, I have. Yes, I have. Okay. When I was young, particularly, and I've been drunk before. Did you experience alcohol as a downer? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Not that I cried, but it. What, what I mean by downer is it decreases the awareness. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you've not been a heavy user of alcohol? Absolutely not. I'll tell you something that I don't understand. Okay. Why it's made to be such a big joke on one end and such a terrible, terrible, serious problem on the other in our mm -hmm. society. You know? mm -hmm. We have people laughing in the comic strips and mm -hmm. on TV about the poor guy that's stumbling down right. the street. Every you know? comedian has it as part of his that's bit. That's right. And also yeah. the sophistication of right. being drinking right. alcohol. This is what ki drives our kids, you know, leads our kids into it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I hear that it's been taken off the air. Mm -hmm. 
they, they can't advertise on television anymore, which I think is wonderful. Cigarettes, either. Do you smoke? Tobacco? Not ordinarily. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Okay. At this point in time, Lynn, are you on any medication of any kind? No. How's your physical health right now? Good. Are you generally a physically healthy person? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Have you had any serious or major illnesses or injuries? Uh, <coughs> Uh, yeah, other than the usual childhood diseases like measles, mumps, whooping cough, stuff like that. And no. any kind of serious illness. You ever had hepatitis? No. Operations? No. How tall are you? Five four. And you weigh about right now I guess about hundred and six. Is that your average weight, your typical weight? My average weight is 110. Okay, you lost a little bit since you came in here, or mm -hmm. is that because you're passing up some of the goodies they're trying to feed you? Okay. okay. Have a little more time left. I don't think we got started till probably about a quarter to. I didn't jot the exact time. Like I think that's about when we got started. I hope it's about that. I'd like to ask just a little bit about your background, not in any great detail, but like where were you born and raised, and how big a family did you come from, and so forth. Do you think that's important to my psychological stability at the present time? In some aspects, yes, and particularly in terms of your relationship with your parents and how that might reflect on your relationship with people in authority generally and so forth. Since in order to go before the court of law, you know, when an attorney goes before a court of law, he's immediately under all kinds of authority and has to live within a certain schedule of rules and regs and so forth, and so I wanted to explore a little bit about your past life and how you did with rules and regs and how you got along with various authorities and so forth. Well, uh, I have learned much, and I never was very rebellious. I mm -hmm. never got in very much trouble when I was young. Did you come from a large family, small no. family? small. One brother, one sister. Okay. Both younger. Younger. How'd you get along with them? Good. I love them. Have they had any legal difficulty at all? No. You've kind of ended up being the black sheep. <laughs> I don't know what they're calling me now. Well, I mean, you're the one that's had problems, uh, at least as far as society is concerned. As far as so they're forth. concerned, yes. Okay. The problem child. 
in their eyes. Are mom and dad living? Now, does this go on the record? That I'm the problem child? Um, Don't you understand the so. inference of that type of statement? Well, put it in brackets to indicate that's my word. <laughs> okay. Well, we're, we're talking now. Remember what I just said? From my parents' viewpoint. Right. Right? right. Well, we're not talking from my right. viewpoint. Yeah. Well, my comment here was patient is seen as the problem child. Not that you are the problem child. But they, you understand that they see you that way. We have a, we have a very... Actually, I think it's a unique understanding, mm -hmm. my uh, parents and I. Rather than viewing me even as a problem child, they accepted the fact that I wished to be independent. Mm -hmm. And they actually literally uh, allowed me to do what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I was going to say cut me off, but they... they uh, didn't do it too severely. As you were growing up, how would you generally categorize your relationship with them? Smooth, rocky, when, whatever. In, during a period of time? Oh, let's say up until your teen years, in your pre-teen years. I, we had a good relationship. With both mom and dad? That's right. Were you closer to one than the other? Could you just very briefly characterize them as warm, cold, friendly, distant, loud, quiet, passive, you know? How about that? I would describe them as passive. Mom and Dad. That's right. Both relatively quiet people. That's right. Father very afraid. Do you know what he was afraid of? People have different fears. Mm -hmm. Some some people are afraid of water. Some people are afraid of other people. Mm -hmm. They're afraid of their their own image getting mm -hmm. across to somebody. He had various fears like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did those fears uh, get openly shown? I mean, it was very obvious. Dad was a fearful guy. No, it wasn't obvious. Okay. Maybe that's a kind of retrospective adult thought you have about him rather I understand than, him. You know, sure. You weren't thinking as a little girl that my daddy's scared. No. Okay. Doctor, can I cut in a moment and switch the state over? Can. Get sure. to the end. We'll just go ahead and proceed then. Should, you should kick so out a record when you get down at the end and, and then just flip it over. And <laughs> Who made the rules at Homeland? Who was the boss in the family? Okay. Sort of equally authoritative. And no major clashes with them, no major problems. The the paper or Newsweek or somebody, haven't I don't remember where it was, you've been written about in many different publications. They said something about you're having had some kind of a major clash when you were 16 or something and getting booted out of the home. I know, they like to talk like that. Yeah. What did happen? What were the circumstances of your leaving home? How old were you? And when I left, I was 18. Okay. 
and and you weren't leaving because somebody said get out we don't want you around or something like that uh, my father and I had a discussion and we didn't agree it mm -hmm. was about something probably uh, very minor I don't even remember now. Mm -hmm. and he told me to leave I see How far did you go through school? I just graduated from high school. I began a semester at El Camino College. What were you going to study? Psychology. What made you decide to stop school? Uh, he told me to leave the house. I see. So you had no way of supporting yourself and going to school and so forth? Well, it was just the circumstances that presented themselves at that time, and uh, I, I didn't go back. Mm -hmm. I was also dissatisfied with school. Mm -hmm. I wasn't learning anything. A person has to be wide open to learning. Yeah, there just wasn't time for you to do that? No. When you were in high school, what kind of grades did you get? During the, the uh, former part of high school, I got very good grades. The latter part of high school, I became disinterested. I was more interested in uh, literature. Did you fail any courses? No. So the early part of your high school career, maybe A's and B's towards the end, C's? Mm -hmm. Did you have any particular run-ins with teachers, principals? No. How'd you get along with the other kids? Fine. Have you ever had difficulty maintaining friendships? No. You're not a loner. I would I wouldn't answer that. Mm-hmm. Well, what? Sometimes a loner, sometimes more social. Well, oh, I'm I'm social. I guess you could say mm -hmm. I'm social, but I'm not all, always. I'm not social in all instances. Mm -hmm. I couldn't be uh, classified either way. Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm asking is, do you sometimes open up and develop very close and intimate friendships where you oh, really absolutely. are very close to people? How many really close friends would you estimate you have now? people you really trust. That time you were charged with something and the trial didn't come off, what were you charged with then? Dissuasion of a witness. 
Why was it dropped, Lynn? The, it was not dropped. The original charge was attempted murder. Mm-hmm. This was a case where a girl allegedly received a hamburger with LSD in it. She allegedly received the hamburger in Hawaii, and at that time I was in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was brought as a conspiracy, and due to the Tate LaBianca trial that was going on, it was going to pass through uh, mm-hmm. with publicity. Uh-huh. Okay. Consequently, uh, I accepted a disposition. Isn't that what you call it? Plead guilty and do some time or something? No contender. I wouldn't plead guilty, <coughs> okay. but I did plead no contender. And uh, received three months on the county jail. Okay. How'd you feel while you were incarcerated? Was, it, was that a really bad trip or got along all right? Or? Well, because of the, the place, Los Angeles County Jail is, I would say, is a, a very bad place to be incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Because of the, how large it is. I mean, very impersonal. That's right. But I got along fine. Got along with the guards and inmates alike. Has there ever been a time in your life when, when you got pretty paranoid, when you got really suspicious of the motives of others? time when you've had, uh, let's say, a, a belief that somebody was a person, an organization was out to kill you, poison you? No. Mm-hmm. Not troubled by any such thoughts at this time. I mean, you know that the government's out to get you, but I mean... Beyond that, you're not thinking that there's any personal Nothing vendettas personal, against you? No. Nothing okay. Communication with your family at all at this time? Sending you letters or visiting you or anything? Would you characterize your present relationship with them as distant or cool or. Most parents wouldn't rush to their child's side in a time of difficulty, so something is amiss in the, uh, you know. As I said, we have a very. Pat understands. Uh-huh. Uh, he has, my father has definite opinions. He said, you can come here on these conditions. Uh, I said, but how if, if we were to check it or anything, that's what's concerning me. Oh, oh, well, you'll just record a little bit and then stop it and just rewind it right. This guy knows his business, right?
I think it's just crack, man. But it's got legal jargon in it, and I don't know if it's anything. present time, Lynn, the, the charges against you are that you acted all by your lonesome, right? That's right. So there's not going to be some kind of uh, allegation as far as you know that you're still a tool of the family or something like that? That's no. To get, these, get the president. <clears throat> I feel like I ought to ask something about your relationship with Manson and the family, not in any detail, but again, I'm aware that there have been, you know, all kinds of allegations in the press that, you know, it was a really, what, crazy, hedonistic trip. Right. This is um, people's desires and fantasies. Yeah. This is another thing that I'm under. He's under. Can you can you give me just a brief overview of your relationship with Manson and the family, uh, so that I can say I covered it in case anyone asks. Who would ask? Well, I don't know, but I'm sure you know much of all of this has been seen at times by people as though this was an extension of certain beliefs on your part that got started at the time when you were with the family and so forth. Um, I don't know who would ask. It just seems like it's a very big chunk in your life between 18 and the present time that I don't really know anything about from your own lips as to how your, your life went mm -hmm. in the intervening eight years. And that, again, would take a great deal of explanation because of what you've read. Yeah, I have to well, I'm not assuming that point. anything I've read is accurate, rest assured. Can you kind of give me a synopsis of what happened between 18 and now? Is that possible? Well, as much as I feel that I legally am obligated, I don't feel that I'm legally obligated to say anything, but I can say that uh, like most young people during yeah. the late 60s, we did a lot of traveling around. We did a lot of meeting people. We were not hedonistic. Mm -hmm. uh, we're solely uh, the thought of being uh, out only for pleasure. Mm -hmm. We were concerned about what was going on, what people were thinking, uh, how people were being treated. And we found dozens of young people out in the streets. Uh, some of them were taking care of themselves fine. Mm -hmm. Others of them were being abused mm -hmm. by any number of people who found out that they could just swoop into San Francisco and pick people up. Mm -hmm. And it was my feeling to um, offer these people a place to stay. For example, it was me who went out and found a, a young runaway girl one day who didn't have a place to stay and said, come on home with us. Mm -hmm. And um, subsequent to this, 
we young people would come to our house and say, can I stay here? And we'd say, you can stay here, but you know, you're going to have to be quiet. You're going to have to respect the place. And, you, and if you just want attention from your parents, and if you're going to uh, take drugs, then you can't be here because mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't do that. You can live in the back. You can live in the woods if you want. Uh, we'll see mm -hmm. that you're fed. We'll see that you got food. Um, we'll see that nobody hurt you. Mm -hmm. uh, we ran into a number of young people who told us, anyway, that their parents were abusing them. Mm -hmm. uh, one girl, in fact, who later testified against us, uh, called us up, told us her dad was beating her. And she was crying, and she would we come and pick her up? Of course we'll come and pick her up. Um, the police were aware that mm -hmm. there was there were people, young people in the background, mm -hmm. and that we were, uh, we found ourselves a ranch. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of a foster home operation. Well, we weren't uh, telling these people anything, these young people. We, we just offered them our land, more mm -hmm. or less. What they wanted to do was up to them, mm -hmm. as long as they didn't abuse it. I believe it's healthy for anyone to live in the woods. I don't. I wouldn't send a kid to the to the streets. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had this land available, and we let them live mm -hmm. on it. Mm -hmm. uh, we we did not have sex orgies mm -hmm. and drug orgies or cult meetings or. Uh, hanging Christ in effigy or pretending Charlie was Christ or anything of that nature. This is all comes out of people's imagination. Uh, we were actually very healthy. We found out that by giving to each other and supporting each other and building each other up and uh, realizing that there is a joy in giving, there is a purpose in being able to uh, serve each other, uh, we found great satisfaction. Do you believe in God? Certainly. Okay. Do you believe in Christ? I believe that God is creative force, mm -hmm. li uh, life force. You don't believe in him as a Universe. personality? No. Okay. Do you believe in Christ? I believe a man hung on the cross and gave his life. Do for, you think he was the son of God? I believe that as God being life itself, uh, the universe reflection. Okay. So you don't accept Christian I, doctrine as such, in terms of his being a personal savior that came and took everybody's sin on his back and died for them. I believe that he did indeed do that for humanity. Mm -hmm. I believe that he did. But there as a is man. a purpose why he's been there. Right, okay, but as a very good man, not as deity per se. Uh, we are all potential deity without okay. a lot of the confusion that we um, weigh ourselves down with, with carrying a big load. Have you seen Charlie as deity? I just said doctor. Right. You said you didn't see him. You didn't think he no, was no, no. Christ. Said, we are all, we all have life force running mm -hmm. through us. We, the right. life force 
is the God. The tree is the God. Anything that's alive as opposed to okay. this uh, inanimate. Okay, life force is God. Mm -hmm. Okay, what, what might philosophically be called pantheism. God is in everything. Everything that's alive, anyway. An expression of God, yeah. yeah. Right. I've never heard that term, pantheism. hope I've got the term right. I, th I think it's just a general philosophic concept that God is in everything. That God is diffused throughout nature. Well, if I was going to worship something, I would, I would worship what's here. I think we have a beautiful earth. Hard to see sometimes. You're right. <laughs> many, many scars. Are you doing anything about it? Yes. Um, have you ever had any severe head injury? No. Ever had fainting spells, epilepsy, convulsions? No. Tell you something that you might do is work on uh, getting the drug commercials off the television. You know how powerful mm -hmm. suggestion is. Yeah. We don't really need to hear about headaches, you know, 20 times yeah. in a day. Right. Your involvement in the current events, the current offense, then is in no way related to your relationship with Manson, the family. Just a. Well, you're asking me again, why did I do what I allegedly did? Well, no, I don't want to get into that because he's going to object. <laughs> no, he's not objecting. He's just told me, you know. Right. No, I don't want to get into your motives for doing it. But what I'm trying to do is just. Well, and it's a hard to. it's a hard task to do what he's saying. Ordinarily, I would conduct this examination under 4244 by asking you a lot of things about the offense. Because, particularly if you can represent yourself, because a significant part of being able to represent yourself has to do with whether you remember what happened, whether you remember your motives, etc., etc., etc. But because of the nature of this case and so forth, some special rules have come into play, which I don't fully understand because I'm not an attorney. Ordinarily, under 4244, you could bear your soul to me about the whole blasted offense and every intimate detail about it, even if you were guilty of sin. That could not be used to incriminate you in any way unless you and your counsel raised some issue or gave me on the stand the authority to talk about it. You follow me? Okay. Usually you're protected under 4244 against any kind of incrimination. Tell me this. There's some special don't you, rules don't for Don't you that. feel that I'm not saying um, that you can anal analyze whether I can handle the technical aspect, but don't you feel that I'm an alert person? Yes, I think I'm you're an intelligent person. I think you're an alert person. I think you're a bright person. 
That's, I isn't think that you're, what you're here to probably overestimating your ability to think as quick as an attorney on your feet. Now, if you indeed can have co-counsel, then you know I can see where that might bring it off. Right. But if co-counsel wasn't a possibility, I would think you'd do well to heed the words of Lincoln. And uh, even if it was mediocre counsel, even if you didn't have really top-notch counsel, you'd be better off represented by counsel than doing it yourself, just because of the realities of a courtroom situation. But doctor, don't you think that you're here to determine whether I'm mentally stable and fit? Yeah, what I'd also like to do, and what I can't do though, is to ask you something about the offense to see how you react emotionally when you're getting into talking about the offense. Do you follow me? When you go to a court of law, it's all going to be laid out in graphic detail. There's going to be photographs, there's going to be all kinds of witnesses, there's going to be all kinds of allegations as to what your motives were or weren't, and so on and so on. And those things are going to present some kind of psychological stress to some degree. And so my ordinary approach in this kind of an examination would be to ask you in great detail about the offense relying on the federal provisions under 4244 to protect you against self-incrimination. It wouldn't be incriminating you, but, but the rules are Why changed. Why just call me a name and see how I react? <laughs> Let me ask some things Try. without Try telling anything. you. Do you recall the circumstances of the offense without talking about any of these circumstances? Can you recall them clearly? Yes. You can recall that period of time in which the offense occurred without any difficulty. Okay. It makes it a difficult 4244 because usually I, you know, I, I go into it by way of being a kind of stressing situation. I understand. And, and then trying to observe the defendant. Under that stressful situation, uh, you know, because uh, that's all going to come out of this time of trial. When you have discussed your case with uh, Mr. Hawley or Mr. Walker, has that been um, a significant emotional stress for you to talk about the offense and what was happening then? No. Okay. In slang phrases, you can discuss it all and keep your cool. And I assume that means then that you are capable of going into the nitty-gritty of whatever happened without coming unstrung. Yes. Okay. How do you respond when people call you names? I know where I am. Okay, well people, in a sense, if I understand you right, you anticipate they're going to be calling you names in a court of law. They're going to make you out to be some kind of a real pariah. <laughs> okay. A real what? Pariah. Somebody, well, somebody that goes around kind of uh, living off of society and in, in, uh, oh, why did you ask me to define this? <laughs> Uh, somebody that lives off of society, you know, in a very shady or illicit or um, bad fashion. Is Pariah know. somebody's name in history? No, no, I think Pariah... It comes from a Greek mythology, I 
Is it? Oh, is it yeah, Greek that's mythology? what it sounds like. Did I define it right? I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> well, I'll use some other words. How about promulgate? <laughs> okay, but you're, you're aware of the fact that people are going to be trying to make you out to be a real bad guy. The prosecution. We'll, we'll try to say this is this is a real, real sinister character, and she ought to be locked up the rest of her life. And we ought to throw the key away, and she ought to never have the opportunity to ever harm anybody again. Do you think that the prosecution should do this if he doesn't really feel it, or he's just carrying on the case of the government? I don't think the government has any personality in it. Well, we could talk at great length, and I don't presume to really know the legal system, but. To the best of my understanding, the legal system doesn't really deal in justice. That's the public myth. The legal system deals in due process. There is an assumption made, which sometimes is true and sometimes false, that if due process is followed, justice will result. Now, you and I are each aware that some people who are obviously guilty, have been gotten off by very clever attorneys. And from our point of view, that's certainly not justice. If justice means that the, guilt ought to get, the guilty ought to be punished and the not guilty ought to go free. We also are both aware that many not guilty people have been found guilty and sent to prison because they had lousy counsel. Right. So... There. There's my case. Okay. So there's a presumption made that in the adversary position, and this goes back to your question, is it right for the prosecution to make you out to be this real bad guy? Well, I can't judge finally whether it's right or not, but the assumption is that the prosecution is going to make you out to be the devil, and the defense is going to make you out to be an angel, and somehow a perhaps somewhat befuddled group of 12 men and women mm -hmm. are going to try and decide from all of that what they think is going on, and whether, in their opinion, you ought to be punished or how much you ought to be punished if they make a recommendation to the judge and so forth. So I'm not going to try and judge that. There are some obvious defects in the system from my point of view. But on the other hand, any time human beings are going to be involved, as you said, it's rather frightening to think of leaving your fate in the hands of another human being. So the attempt is to put your fate in the hands of a process. Unfortunately, that process has to still be mediated by human beings. Unfortunately, in some respects, it's a little bit old. In that regard, I was going to ask you, uh, I assume the answer is negative. You don't believe that there is some day of final judgment when all things and all people finally will be judged by a God, by a final authority. I wouldn't say that I don't believe that. Okay. I believe primarily that people judge themselves mm -hmm. and that uh, each man and woman must look at themselves. Mm -hmm. In life and death. Okay, maybe there's just a question mark still in your mind as to what finally happens, if anything, when all this is done. When all what's done? Our life here. 
whether there's a life hereafter, and if so, under what conditions, and so forth. Well, I don't believe we'll be given unlimited Earths. I'll tell you that. I mean, I think we have a good one. You know. Yeah. Okay. Do you? get angry very often or very easily? Do you lose your cool to no. anger? No. And you don't cry easily or frequently? I'll tell you. Um, if I feel that it's necessary for me to be Business-like, let's say. Mm -hmm. Then I can conduct myself that way. Okay. Are you convinced you would need to be business-like in a court of law? Sure. In other words. I have definite feeling, but I can uh, sublimate it. Mm -hmm. What made you do the X in your forehead? point of that? What was the purpose of marking yourself? Well, um, it has different levels. On one level, it is a, a cross that's fallen, a falling cross. Mm -hmm. uh, on another level, it is uh, an X, mm -hmm. and the X is we are marked out of the system as it stands. We don't go along with it. Mm -hmm. And by go along with it, I mean uh, it needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. This was the, the uh, step that we took. Mm -hmm. And many, many people criticized us. Well, yes. We will be through very shortly. And, and then Lynn will be able to. I'll, I'll wait until. Can you hold it for psychiatrist if I didn't ask you some of those clever questions like, what does it mean when people say, don't count your chickens till they're hatched? I don't think you won the case when you haven't started. I don't think you won the case when you what? When you haven't started. Okay. Don't believe it until you see it. Okay.
Boy, I hope I've covered everything. I'd hate to draw the range for tape recorder and everything else. <laughs> then I, I certainly uh, think you have the capacity to waive the right to counsel. And, uh, I certainly find her to be competent under 4244. Certainly don't find any overt signs or symptoms of mental illness. I have my obvious concerns about her belief in her ability to field the kinds of activities that go on in a court of law. Uh, I've been in courts of law many times doing medical legal work and not ever tried to be an attorney. And the more often I'm in a court of law, the more thankful I am that there are attorneys and should I ever be charged with something. And, uh, like I say, even if it was mediocre counsel, I'd want to be there. Because even mediocre counsel knows the rules of the ballpark inside the courtroom that I don't know. And there are certain ways of fouling out and so forth. And, uh, and even if you're in the process of making a very telling point and, and you cross the boundary, somebody can suddenly object. And unless you have all kinds of cool and reserve, it'll just completely derail your thinking. And an attorney is set to deal with that. As a matter of fact, he hopefully knows those boundaries so well that even if he purposefully steps over it to test the judge or test the other counsel to see if he can get away with something, if the other guy wakes up in time and objects to the foul, uh, you know, he uh, doesn't lose his cool and steps right back in. Uh, were I in a court of law trying to defend myself, I'm sure, particularly if I had the conviction that you have that you've got to prove something and no, my wait. emotions would get involved, and uh, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be able to follow those those foul lines. Uh, I'd step over them, I'm sure. But if you had the convictions that I have, you would train yourself, and, and you would um, make it a point not to step well, over. In time, I would train myself, but but you know, I don't see uh, how I can sit down, and I don't see how Michelangelo could have trained himself to be a great sculptor and artist with his first work. <laughs> you know, he botched all kinds of canvases and yeah, all kinds of stones before he finally got there. Oh, okay, but but you've got one chance. you got one block of marble. And you want it to turn out to be a masterpiece. And you've never sculpted before. Take it easy. Well, okay. Okay. You have a right to do that, because I don't think you're crazy, but I'm not sure you're making a wise decision but I'm not asked to pass judgment on whether or not you're making wise decisions or not. No, I'm in... I'm simply asked to give an opinion if I understand right, whether it's a crazy decision or not, and I don't think it's a crazy decision, as best I understand. And again, the examination is somewhat truncated or cut off by the fact that I can't really go into these issues with you and ask you in greater detail what kind of a defense you planned and the charges and this and that and the other thing. Bob, I, I think I've done my thing. Uh, I can't think of anything else I should ask you. Shut this thing off and push this down. Should just press. All that okay. I. Is there anything you wanted to ask me, or, or is there anything else I need to know about you in order to render a meaningful opinion about your present mental competency? No, I don't think so. 
the only thing I would ask is when we would receive a copy of your report. I plan to type it up tomorrow, and sometime probably by tomorrow afternoon, I'll drop it by the judges' chambers, and I assume then the judge will distribute it to you, and you'll probably bring a copy to uh, Miss Fromey. All right. They will be in court Tuesday morning. Right. Now, I understand the judge will want me there also. Yes. Are we I'm having a hearing? Yeah. This interview was terminated at 526, September the 21st, 1975. President Gerald Ford testified at the trial of Lynette Frome under oath. It was recorded in Washington, D.C. Pursuant to a subpoena previously issued uh, to uh, the witness present, Ford, in the case of the United States of America versus Lynette Alice Frome, criminal action S75 451 of the United States District Court for the Eastern District of California. Those who are present uh, here at the hearing and officially here are, first of all, John Berger, who is the co counsel for the defendant. Lynette Alice Frome, Dwayne Keyes, the United States Attorney for the Eastern District of California, Richard Thornburg, who is the Assistant Attorney General of the United States uh, Criminal Division, and Richard Fong, who is the official court reporter for my court uh, in the Eastern District of California. Now, further, I want the record to reflect that I have been designated by the uh, inter-circuit uh, committee of the United States Judicial Conference uh, to sit in uh, the United States District Court for the District of Columbia, and that the uh, witness appears uh, today pursuant to uh, subpoena heretofore issued pursuant to a request of the uh, defendant, Lynette Alice Frome, and uh, by order of this court previously issued, and uh, by stipulation of uh, co-counsel uh, and uh, his uh, a client, uh, Ms. Frome, and the United States Attorney, uh, that uh, this hearing may be conducted in this fashion in lieu of the witness appearing in person in Sacramento at the hearing of this case. Now, uh, the court will rule today on all questions of relevancy, of uh, uh, questions posed to the witness, as well as on all questions that may uh, arise as a result of any uh, answers that uh, are offered or that might be given uh, by the witness. Uh, to the same effect as if the witness were appearing in person at the trial of the matter. And uh, 
Further, it's, uh, I'm not sure whether we have a stipulation on this, but nevertheless, it is understood that the witness is appearing at, at the present time as a witness for the defense. He having, or they having, uh, requested the subpoena and the subpoena being issued pursuant uh, to their request. Further, I want the record to reflect uh, that the testimony of the witnesses being taken in Washington without objection from the defendant and without objection that the defendant herself uh, is not present uh, at this hearing, it having been stated in open court in Sacramento that uh, uh, the witness uh, would testify at this hearing in Washington and that uh, she would not be present and that statement was made without any resulting objection from her. Further, let the record reflect uh, that the uh, attorney for the defendant and co-counsel for the defendant has represented to the court that all of the questions that uh, he presently uh, knows of that he is going to pose to the witness have been reviewed with his uh, with his client and uh, co-counsel Lynette Alice Frome. Is that correct, Mr. Verga? That is correct, Your Honor. Very well. Well then, Mr. President, will you please stand? Uh, you promised that uh, all of the uh, testimony that you would give in this matter will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth shall be done. Thank you. All right, Mr. Verga, <coughs> you may commence your question. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. President, I would like to direct your attention to Friday, September the 5th, 1975 in Sacramento, California. Uh, where were you just prior to the incident in Capitol Park? I had been in the uh, Senator Hotel, which is on L Street, as I recollect, across from the state capitol. I was in the suite uh, where I had stayed the previous night and had had a conference with several of my staff before leaving the hotel for the state capitol. And what time did you leave the hotel At to approximately go to the state capitol? 10 a.m. that morning. As I understand, you, you crossed the street and uh, you were proceeding along the walkway uh, towards the state <clears throat> capitol, is that correct? That is correct. I left the hotel, walked across L Street uh, and up a walkway from L Street to the entrance to the state capitol on my way to meet the governor. And as you were walking, you were exchanging cordialities with the people and shaking their hands. Is that correct? That is correct. As I went along the walkway, the crowd had been assembled on my left as I walked toward the capitol. And they were held back by a rope. And as I walked toward the Capitol, I was shaking hands and speaking to people in this group on the left-hand side. Where was Lynette from when you first observed her, if you recall? Approximately halfway between L Street and the State Capitol. I noticed a person in the second or third row in a brightly colored dress who appeared to want to uh, either shake hands or speak or at least uh, uh, wanted to uh, get closer to me. 
Uh, I stopped because I was gradually moving toward the state capitol, and that was my first impression of a person who had a dress on. I, of course, didn't know who it was. All right. Of that bright color, I should say. Okay. Uh, the dress was what, either an orange or red, to the best of your recollection? To the best of my recollection. It was bright, either orange or red. I couldn't describe it precisely. Uh, when you first observed the woman who you've described, uh, can you tell me what her demeanor was? And by that I mean, was she calm, nervous, or just in your own words, how would you describe her demeanor when you first observed her? My first impression was that she wanted to come closer and extend, I thought at the time, uh, a hand to shake or to say something to me. But I can't recollect anything beyond that. Do you recall anything about the condition of her face when you first observed her? Was it flushed, pale, weathered? I know you've used the term weathered before. Is that your recollection? It looked weathered, but uh, there were many faces. But the brightness of the dress attracted uh, my attention, and in the process of noticing the dress, I thought her face did appear to be somewhat weathered. What was the color of her hair, if you recall, when you first observed it? I don't recollect. <clears throat> did she at any time reach out with her hand. As I indicated a moment ago, I noticed this lady in a brightly colored dress who wanted to uh, apparently move closer toward me and I assumed to shake hands. And so I hesitated instead of keeping uh, moving as I normally do and as I stopped, I saw a hand come through the crowd in the first row, and that was the only uh, active gesture that I saw, but in the hand was a weapon. Okay. Now, when the hand came in between the people, and it had the hand that had the weapon in it, did you notice the face of the person holding the weapon? I did not. Do you recall if only the hand and arm came out between the people, or did the actual person come between the people with the weapon? As far as I can recollect, it was simply the hand with the weapon in it at a uh, height between my knee and my waist, approximately. All right. So as I understand your testimony, the weapon would have been at about her waist level, is that correct? I couldn't judge where it would be as far as she was concerned, but I can say that I looked down, and my best recollection is that it was somewhere 
the hand with the weapon was somewhere between my knee and my waistline. And was the barrel of the weapon uh, pointed down or towards your feet or towards your waist? Or where exactly, if you recall, was the barrel of the weapon pointed? I could not tell. The weapon was large. It uh, covered all or most of her hand, as far as I could see. And I only saw it instantaneously because almost uh, automatically one of the Secret Service agents lunged, grabbed the hand and the weapon, and then I was pushed off by the other members of the Secret Service detail. How close did the weapon come to you, to your person? I would estimate uh, two feet. Okay. You indicate that you saw, you could see her hand on the weapon. That is correct. Could you tell if her finger was on the trigger? I could not. And I would assume also that you could not tell from your observations whether or not she pulled the trigger. I could not. Did you at any time see any motion that would indicate to you that she was cocking the gun? I could not say I noticed any such action on her part. Did you ever see her hand on the slide or on the top of the gun? I did not, sir. Did you ever notice her thumb on the hammer of the gun? I did not. How long was the weapon directed at you that you personally observed? I simply saw the hand with a gun in it, and the gun covered most of the hand, as I indicated a few moments ago. Almost instantaneously, with my seeing the gun, the Secret Service agent uh, grabbed her hand and the gun, uh, I couldn't judge how long a time it might have been pointed at me. Did you ever hear the gun click? I have no recollection of it clicking or not clicking. Did you hear any noise from the gun at any time that you can recall? Not that I can recall. Were you able to tell the caliber of the weapon? I could not, sir. What was her position in relation to your position when she had the gun in her hand? As I understand, in order to clarify that, you were shaking hands with the people and you were turned to your left. Would that be correct or incorrect? I was moving from my left to right from Hell Street to the Capitol. I was shaking hands and speaking to people as I was moving toward the Capitol. Uh, my best recollection is there was a series of rather prominent trees, and we were in the approximate area of one of those trees when I noticed this person in the second or third row of those individuals who were in the crowd. 
Uh, I would say that she was three to four feet from me when I first noticed her. She appeared to want to come forward. I had the impression she did come forward. Uh, I didn't see the precise movement. I stopped because I had the impression she wanted to uh, speak to me or shake my hand. And as I moved to either shake hands or speak to her, I then noticed the gun. And as I indicated, it in her hand was approximately two feet from her. Okay. Would the weapon have been facing you directly or facing you from the side? It would be facing toward me from her right and my left. All right. Do you re have any recollection of moving your hand towards her to uh, deflect that object? I have no recollection of any such movement. Do you recall if at any time you touched the weapon? I would assume I have the no recollection at all, and if I have a recollection, it is that uh, the Secret Service agent moved so rapidly I had no opportunity to do so. Okay. Let me indicate why I'm asking you that question. There is a witness by the name of Roy Miller who my investigator has talked to. And I'm offering this to see if it refreshes your recollection. It might be incorrect, but in any event, his recollection is that you did move your hand towards Lynette Frome and then duck down and then stand up and then the Secret Service pushed you back down. Do you have any such recollection of those events occurring when I mentioned that to you? I, as I said a moment ago, I stopped because I had the impression she wanted to either speak or shake hands with me. In the process, I may have moved forward, but I certainly have uh, no recollection whatsoever of either touching her or the gun. Did you at any time hear her say anything? I did not. Do you know who it was that grabbed a hold of her arm? It was uh, one of the uh, Secret Service detail, Mr. Larry Boondor. After you were pushed down and surrounded by the Secret Service men, then you were taken to another area towards the state capitol, is that correct? That is correct. What, if anything, did you observe as you look back? I really don't think I uh, looked back on a, in any deliberate way. I was being pushed and moved very rapidly by the Secret Service detail. I have no personal recollection of 
looking back to see what took place or what was going on. Have you discussed the facts of this case with anyone that represented to you that they were an eyewitness? Or that he or she I was an eyewitness? I have not discussed this with any person who alleges that he or she was an eyewitness. I have discussed it with Mr. Buchan and with Mr. Keyes and with Mr. Thornburg. No, I'm only interested in just anyone who claimed to be an eyewitness. No. I have not. That's all the questions I have. Thank you. Is there any examination by the United States Attorney? No, Your Honor. Uh, Mr. Verga, have any questions been given to you uh, by uh, Lynette Frome to be asked uh, at this hearing which you have not posed to the President? No, Your Honor, I can represent to the court that I reviewed all of my questions with Lynette Frome before coming to Washington, and she did not give me any questions, any additional questions other than the ones that have been asked. Very well, and that concludes the, the hearing. Thank you very much, Mr. President. <coughs> you release from the subpoena. Thank you very much, Your Honor. There's some matters that I feel should be put on the record in order that it be complete, and further, in order that there be no question as to the uh, the use that will be made of the uh, the videotape. First of all, it's uh, it's understood that uh, apparently three tapes uh, were made uh, and are being well. There were three videotapes uh, that were made while the witness testified. Uh, two of them were on, uh, as I understand it, a Sony. Uh, a videotape machine, and then a third tape uh, as a backup tape uh, was uh, being made by uh, some Navy equipment. Uh, it's understood uh, that one of the videotapes uh, will be uh, sealed and delivered uh, to me to be taken by me back to Sacramento and to be used uh, at the time of the trial in the event the defendant elects to use uh, the tape uh, uh, as a part of his uh, case in chief uh, uh, for the defendant. Uh, the second tape will be retained by uh, the president's counsel who is present here in the room at, uh, at this moment, along with uh, the assistant uh, attorney general. Uh, that will be retained here and uh, will be disposed of uh, by order of myself as the court at a later time as we see how things develop. Uh, the hope being that uh, we will get uh, the number one tape safe, safely back to Sacramento for use at the court in Sacramento, but at least we will have uh, that as a tape uh, to be retained here, uh, and uh, it can be disposed of later uh, by direction of the court. The third tape, uh, on the assumption that the, uh, that the two tapes that are being made on the Sony machine uh, 
are all right and uh, that they uh, correctly uh, uh, portray what has happened here today, then the third uh, tape will be destroyed immediately. The uh, further order is uh, that uh, the tape uh, that will be used in Sacramento, or at least that will be brought to the court in Sacramento, uh, will be retained in the safe of the uh, clerk of the court for the uh, Eastern District of California and will not be released to anyone except on order of the court. It is, of course, expected that the tape itself would, uh, would not, uh, in the event there is a conviction, and in the event uh, the, def uh, the, uh, the defendant takes an appeal, uh, that the tape uh, would not go up uh, on appeal any more than would a picture of any witness who might testify in court for the reason that uh, we do not permit the taking of pictures of witnesses in the courtroom. And therefore, the tape would, the videotape would not go up uh, to any higher court, and there would be no reason that I can see why the tape should, uh, should leave uh, the official record of the, uh, uh, of the court, uh, that is the trial court, and that finally, uh, as I say, the tape will not in any way be revealed to any of the news media. The um, record would also reflect that uh, Richard Fong, who is the official reporter for, uh, in the uh, United States District Court for the Eastern District of California, uh, has uh, made a record of this proceeding, and uh, it would be expected that that record would be transcribed eventually and can be used uh, the same as any uh, record made in open court could be used. Obviously, it will, if there is an appeal, it will go up, and that it's, it's available to the, uh, uh, to the public because it would, could go into the file as uh, a part of the daily transcript. And I might state that a daily transcript is being made in this case. Now, I don't think that there's anything else. Are there any statements that you uh, wish to make into the record, Mr. Verga? No, Your Honor. Mr. Keyes, are there any statements that you want to make into, put into the record at this time? Uh, no, Your Honor. <clears throat> One question. Yes. Uh, concerning the audio portion uh, of Mr. Fong's uh, uh, record here, what will, what will be the uh, disposition of that? Well, the audio portion uh, uh, is no different than, uh, than uh, the audio portion of any t uh, witness's testimony. It's, uh, he's putting it on his dictaphone. Uh, a transcript can be made of that. Oh, I, your question is, is well taken, I understand. Okay. Uh, I don't believe, uh, and uh, I'll hear you out on this, Mr. Verry, if you have any objection, but I don't believe that the audio portion of this, uh, of this testimony should be revealed to anybody until you decide to call the President as your witness in your case in chief. I don't think that what the President has said here today as a witness in your case would be usable for any purpose until you reach that point during the trial when you decide that you want to use this testimony and at that time it would be revealed. Now in the meantime, I would think uh, uh, that uh, a copy of it uh, could be given to you and to uh, the Attorney General if that's your desire, and also a copy could be given to Mr. Verga 
but I would then make the order at this time, and I do so order, uh, that the content of the, uh, of the uh, videotape, I'm sorry, the copy of the transcript will not be made public to anyone unless the, uh, the defendant uh, shall call the president as a witness in the trial, and in calling the witness as a, a president as a witness, he will then use the audio and the transcript too, I suppose, uh, at that time in the trial. Now, so do you have any objection to that, Mr. Berger? No, Your Honor, as I understand uh, what will occur is that the, the videotape as well as the president's verbal testimony will be shown to the jury. That's correct. And, uh, if that depends on whether you call him as a witness. That's you true. may not want to use this. You may not want to use any portion of this. That's correct. If I decide not to use it, no one will have access to it. That's, that's my understanding. And, and that's, uh, that's my order, too, because I do not want any portion of this tape to be revealed to the public unless it is actually used in open court. I would think one other order might be appropriate in, in lieu of the orders that you've made, and that would be that at the conclusion of the of the trial that you ordered the tapes that I have and that Mr. Keyes has turned back to you so that those can also be sealed. Any objection? No objection, Your Honor. I I that is is a good order. I was also though inquiring about the aid that Mr. Fong has. He has a tape of the president's voice. Uh, the same order that I have made in connection with the transcript uh, applies to the tape that you are making. Uh, let the record reflect that uh, Mr. Fong normally uses a tape uh, as a backup for him on his dictaphone. And uh, as far as my order is concerned, this will apply to any tape that you make, Mr. Fong. This is to be kept uh, in uh, absolute security and is not to be revealed to anyone. Thank so you. that will be my order, that, uh, that uh, the transcript, all of the transcripts shall be returned uh, to the court. Now, uh, Mr. Thurnberg, are there any uh, uh, suggestions that you have with reference to the use of the uh, tapes or the uh, the videotapes, uh, the tapes uh, that, are, that are now being made by Mr. Fong or any transcript or any other portion of this proceeding that you'd like to uh, express an opinion on or uh, uh, wish concerning? Uh, just two things, uh, Your Honor. One is that uh, it's our understanding that uh, the two copies that will be <clears throat> disposed of today or, or uh, one given to you, one to Mr. Buchan, uh, and the third copy, after the third copy has been uh, uh, erased, uh, will be under seal, uh, which uh, seal, uh, which uh, will uh, await further order of the court, either for use in the case of the copy delivered to you or for such other use as may be uh, forthcoming with respect to any order requested of Your Honor with respect to the one uh, here. Uh, that seal uh, it is so ordered. The, the second thing is I'm not clear, and I, uh, uh, Mr. Buchan raises the question, uh, and I think it's a, a good one. We didn't understand that you were uh, going to make available to counsel, either for the government or for the defendant, anything but the written transcript of the proceedings here today, uh, that, that they would not receive any audio tape of uh, any of the transcripts for I, I, I thought I made that clear, but if I haven't made it clear, then that is my intention. There is no need for Mr. Verga to see the audio between now and the time of trial. You've got, you'll have a copy of the transcript. You've already, you've, you've heard, the, you've observed the President to testify. I agree with that. I may, I, I'm a little confused now, so you're on. As I understand it, the 
there's the, the videotape, and then Mr. Fong has a tape recording that's playing in court at the present time. And I understood that we were talking about that tape. In other words, he's going to prepare a transcript, and I will have a copy of the transcript. That's correct. But I also thought that Mr. Keyes directed a question to the tape that is immediately in front of Mr. Fong that he uses to supplement his transcript. What is going to happen to that? I understood you to say that I would have a copy of that. That's why I said that I would suggest you... No, I didn't. Uh, if I said that, I didn't mean that. If I said that, I didn't mean it. I don't recall that I said it. What? what my point is this. Mr. Uh, what, let's, let's get this straight in the way. Mr. Fong, yeah. as soon as you have... Uh, uh, I'm asking that you prepare your daily, as we call it, transcript on this matter immediately. As soon as you have completed that, then would it not be appropriate that you just simply destroy this tape? And uh, uh, I would assume that you as officers of the court would trust me that uh, when I tell you that that tape has been destroyed, that it has in fact been destroyed. And therefore, uh, the only... Uh, uh, only record of these proceedings that will be made available to counsel will be a written transcript of what has occurred here today. Okay. Thank May you. I comment upon Thank that, Your Honor? Yes. I'm not asking for a copy of Mr. Fong's tape. What I would like and what I would move the court to do with it is to seal it, not give a copy to me, and keep it in the court record. I'm not asking for a copy of it. I appreciate the fact that I am entitled to a copy of the transcript, and I'm not, I'm not asking for a copy of the tape. But as long as that tape here and available, I would ask, and being made, I would ask that you seal it and not destroy it until after the trial is over. At that time, I would. We have the video. You've got, you've got the video here. You have the video here. We're Everything on. that's on this tape is on, on the video. And I think the sooner that that tape is disposed of, the better. So I, I would assume that everything that is on that tape is on the video. And, and I'm certain that that is correct. I'm just trying to act out of an abundance of caution. Let me ask you this, Mr. Fong. What do you normally do with these tapes? After you have transcribed, what do you normally do with the tape? You destroy them. I see no reason why uh, the court reporter in this case should act <coughs> any differently than he does in any other trial that we have. And, uh, and so I'm going to uh, deny your request, and I think you have ample uh, insurance uh, with the videotape as soon as we, as soon as we, and furthermore, uh, uh, when we, uh, when we, when we uh, uh, view and hear the videotape, I think that you will be then assured and that you'll have no problems. But at the moment, uh, your, your request is denied. One further question. Yes. With regard to the transcript, the actual transcript of the President's testimony. Do I understand your order to be that at the conclusion of the trial, that transcript will have to be turned back in the written transcript? Oh no. Well, well, the written. If the if the president does not testify in the trial, in other words, if if you do not call the president as a witness in the trial, then I want your copy and Mr. Key's copy of the transcript returned to me. If he does, in fact, testify in the trial, well, there's no problem. You're entitled to it, by all means. That's okay? all. Okay? Yes, thank you. All right. Any other questions? Thank you, Your Honor. All right. Then that, uh, that concludes the hearing. Thank you, Your Honor.